Hey crew, back on the podcast today. Got lovely Kayla here doing the training education. Yeah, so um, got quite a few questions uh, in the group, which like love it how there's so many different questions, but like there was like pregnancy and then like perimenopause and like all these different topics, which like probably would take up an hour to do like each, like minimum, minimum an hour. So I thought what I thought what would be most probably helpful and what was kind of like the the general consensus would be like maybe spending like half the session talking about um anatomy like anatomy and biomechanics and the differences in structure between men and women and then also like touch on obviously like the cycle and the physiology side of things in terms of like programming and training because i think like you know one of the biggest things is you know the structural differences between males and females and how that can affect like exercise execution and then also like the physiology in terms of like our programming and like longer term sort of stuff as well so if that's cool does that sound good and then if you have any questions at the end we can go through any like extra questions and i'll try and you know keep it as succinct as possible um but basically like first of all like in terms of like the structural differences and why we have these differences comes down to reproduction right so like women obviously are responsible for gestation and reproduction and that's why we need to have these differences in anatomy in terms of like you know we're about to grow a baby for 10 months um like not in our stomach obviously but like in our uterus which is going to be you know around that midsection area and there are going to be you know changes that we need to allow for um so the biggest one is going to be the pelvis so if we look at like the differences I, I didn't bring any slides or anything but if we look at the differences between like a female and a male pelvis um we see that women tend to have a wider pelvis like their sacrum the bottom of their spine is a lot wider and therefore the the pelvic area is like the ilium, which is part of the pelvis, sits a bit lower. And then um, the bottom of the ribs also end a bit higher. So you have like this smaller rib cage and this lower pelvis to allow for, um, you know, that to expand. Um, and so that's gonna have implications for like spinal stability as well around the lumbar spine. There's not a lot of structure there. There's like, we have to work a lot more on like the core, like the function of our core um and you know with a guy like we can we can compare like you know two of you let's say like you know cash is like kind of straight up and down right like he's like got this rib cage that's quite rectangular comes like his ribs finish quite low his pelvis is going to be a bit more narrow and come up a lot higher so he's got a lot of structural stability around his midsection whereas like us we tend to be like females tend to be a little bit more of that that curve shape so like wider hips um the biggest thing with the wider hips and with the pelvis is that um the angle that the femur leaves the the pelvis so it's called a q angle basically it's quadriceps angle so it follows where the quadriceps attach from so we have our, our rectus femoris which is one of our quads that attaches onto the pelvis so it crosses the hip whereas the other ones the other three just touch onto the actual thigh but basically we can draw a line from um, what's called our anterior inferior iliac spine on the pelvis and then we draw it down like the quadriceps line into our quadriceps tendon into our patella which is our kneecap and then into our tibial um, sorry our patella tendon which attaches onto the tibial tuberosity which is at the start there so we tend to have this wider angle where our 
our hips, um, sorry, our thigh leaves our hips, our thigh bone leaves our hips, which creates more of this, um, it's called a knee valgus. So basically it's like the knees kind of come in, like a little bit more knock kneed. <clears throat> and so with guys, they tend to be just more sort of straight up and down. So you often hear um, like with the cue, like knees out in a squat. So with women, you might see like knees in happen a lot more purely because our anatomical neutral is knees in again. And again, like I'm generalizing between male and female. Guys can have bigger cue angles. Women can have lesser cue angles. It's just, it's all like looking at individuals, but we can see like trends between the two sexes as well. So like that's one big thing when cueing squatting and even like all lower body movements as well. Of course, we don't want to see the knees cave in, but we can make allowances in terms of knowing that her anatomical nutri neutral is gonna be a bit more like knees coming in. So when cueing squat, I like to cue more so from the hips because knees caving in is generally, like there are a couple of things that can cause the knees to cave in, but um, generally it is from a, a glute med or glute min instability, like a lateral hip stabilizer instability. Um, so I like to cue, I don't know if you guys have heard, like spread the floor or like screwing the feet into the floor. So basically, yeah, that's turning on those, um, those lateral hip stabilizers to prevent like the knee caving in. But yeah, I don't ever cue sort of like knees out because if you go knees out too far, then, you know, you're putting pressure, you're putting force through passive structures of the knee, which is like your ligaments, your meniscus like too much you want it you want her to follow like her neutral like her anatomical neutral but still creating that lateral stability as well um and then you know we spoke about the core maybe needing a little bit of extra core work and, and speaking about the stability you know around that lumbar spine um so a couple of things i look at for that is going to be making sure that we're stabilizing the core in all different ranges of motion. So looking at um, anti-flexion extension, anti-lateral flexion, and then anti-rotation work as well. Um, so making sure we're covering all those bases. Um, I like to look at even incorporating some of that core stability work into your program, because I don't know about you guys, but working as a physio, I find that like rehab kind of work is just gets thrown away and thrown under the bus and and it's like it's boring so ways that you can incorporate like core stability work into some of your programming is like loading exercises unilaterally so say you want to do a split squat or any kind of unilateral lower body exercise with a client like you can you know you can load it up bilaterally, which is gonna be a high output exercise if you really wanna drive like output and force and, and build muscle and things like that. But if you wanna train a little bit of stability, you can either go like dumbbell in one hand, the opposite hand to the opposite leg, which is going to wanna to rotate your core. And so therefore you have to resist force in anti-rotation, or you can pop it in the other hand and you can, that's gonna like want to make you laterally flex so then um, you have to resist force in, in antilateral flexion. So just a couple of ways to like integrate some more core work into your programming or into your exercises. We know that like squats and deadlifts are really strong like anti-flexion exercises. And then some of your, um, 
you know, your anti-extension exercises are going to be things like your planks. And like stabilizing on machines is a really good way as well. Oftentimes we kind of just like, you know, for example, like the leg extension, we just like sit on it or your clients might just sit on it and just like go crazy on it. It's like if you lean forward, rib cage down, you know, creating sort of core stability, like hold onto the, the bottom of the seat and then do your leg extensions like that. You're creating like internal core stability without having to rely so much on the like the external stuff. But it really just depends on like the goal of the exercise and like what you're trying to drive in that specific exercise, basically. Um, and then if we move up uh, to the upper body, like I spoke about the rib cage being a lot smaller, also tends to be more rounded. So I don't know if you guys have heard of um, the term like scaption or like neutral scapula <clears throat> no so basically what it is is um like our rib cage isn't like 90 degrees right like our body doesn't work in 90 degree angles so like for someone like cash or or jack was zach. it zach yeah. sorry sorry <laughs> that's right you guys might have like a more rounded sorry not more rounded more rectangular rib cage like it tends to be a bit more broad um and so doing say a lateral raise in 90 degrees like might be fine for you guys but for a lot of women with more of that rounded rib cage our scapula or our shoulder blade might sit a little bit off the thoracic spine so it might actually sit extended whereas if we bring our arms slightly forward and work in this kind of like almost like 30 45 degrees everyone's is going to be a little bit different basically the shoulder blade stays like flush with the rib cage or with the thoracic spine. So sort of keeping in that scaption position, whether you do a shoulder press, whether you do like a lateral raise, then that's sort of gonna put you, you know, in a safer or a healthier shoulder position. Whereas like you might find clients who, you know, go 90 degrees or do a shoulder press from here, the scapula or their shoulder blade is extended off the thoracic spine. And so it sort of makes it, uh, it makes the movement unstable number one so they might get again more force through passive structures of their shoulder say like tendons ligaments things like that which will cause an injury um but also like it's a stronger position right because you're more internally stable like you've got more structure supporting you so that you can work higher output and like that's basically the goal of like trainees. We want to be as stable as possible so that we can drive enough output to put like tension along the muscles and build our muscles or build our strength. Um, any questions in terms of that like anatomy type stuff? When you're um, when you're talking about like because uh, I remember you had clients morning you're saying why is their shoulder left shoulder always come out of place when you're doing that? Will that be like if you're trying to like get someone to hold that position and they keep losing tightness in their scalp? Um, that would be a good idea to just bring their angle in a bit further. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, for me, like I have a dodgy scalp, like on my right side, it's kind of been like that for ages. I don't get any pain from it, but I notice if I go for say like a heavy bench press, then it gets to a certain point and I'm like kind of trying to like, mm -hmm like wiggle my way around that instability and you know there are a lot of things that kind of go into it as well like that instability could be because I have a slight scoliosis so that's my structure I can't really change too much about my structure 
um, because like that's the way my body's been put together or like that's kind of what's happening there whereas I can help it with function so I can use my muscles like the active um, yeah muscles to like create stability in my shoulder which can like you know help with with that sort of thing so yeah if you're finding like someone is like losing position yeah like get them in the in a good position that's more structurally stable but then work on the function like the function of the shoulder um and create like that internal functional stability of the shoulder you know it might be you know if they're losing position is it like a lower trap weakness is it uh, a serratus anterior weakness all these muscles attach directly to the scapula so they attach to the shoulder blade and then they attach onto the rib cage so those are the muscles that are responsible for like stability of the shoulder and then like you've got like your rotator cuff and things like that which is more sort of for like the glenohumeral joint like the shoulder is made up of four joints but um like two of them are really small we don't really talk about them too much the sc and the ac joint and then we've got like the ball and socket which is that glenohumeral joint the rotator cuff is responsible for keeping that head of the humerus centered in that glenoid fossa but the um like your your lower traps your levatus scap your rhomboids your serratus did i say serratus lower traps did i mention <laughs> um what else uh did I say levator scap? Did I mention them all? Anyway, um, they are all, they are responsible for attaching like directly the scapula to the rib cage um, or to like the thoracic spine. So uh, those are responsible for like stabilizing the scap. So I don't know if you guys know like serratus push-ups, things like that, like lower traps. You know, you can train, you can train your lower traps in uh, like a dip let's say because you know a lot of the times you know you might find people rolling forward like this if you think about depressing the scap as you push up then that's like training the lower traps while you're training your triceps so that's why i really love like integrating like that internal stability while you're doing like your exercises because it's like it's just like exercise like executing the exercises correctly is a way that you can kind of like you know prevent injuries but also like maximize not prevent injuries but minimize your risk of injury and also maximize your performance in the gym because you're more stable so when you have more stable joints that's when like you can create more tension in the muscle fibers to sort of like inc like drive more hypertrophy or like increase your strength basically because if you if you lose tension like you guys are like quite strength-based here, I'm assuming. Um, once you lose tension, you know you lose tension in the bottom of a squat or if you lose tension or if you're not tight enough at the start of the deadlift, it can like kind of like fuck up the whole exercise mm -hmm. or like... Bar's not coming back up. I'm yeah, sure. exactly. <laughs> if you lose, yeah, right if you lose tension at yeah, the like bottom of the it. squat, you're like stuck there. You're like, shit. Like, yeah. Or it'll look a, a grind coming up. Yeah, it looks like good morning. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Looking straight> down. <laughs> yeah or like if you don't create enough tension in a deadlift like that bar's not coming off the floor mm -hmm. so yeah create like using um your your internal stabilizers to like you know drive greater output um 
So yeah, so like again, like going back to the shoulder, it's a really complex joint. There's a lot of muscles that attach to it, but just knowing the role of those muscles and how they can work to stabilize the shoulder, then putting the shoulder in like a better position for that. That's more of more so structural stability. But then, you know, working with your client, like working on the back end on whether it's like low trap weakness, whether it's serratus anterior. They have a lot of tight upper traps. And tight upper traps can be because of weaker lower traps, right? Because yeah. the lower traps are going to depress, the upper traps are going to like elevate the scapula. And so, yeah, working on, because we can stretch muscles, but if we don't like stabilize either the opposing muscle or the specific joint in play, like stretching's not going to do anything because it's just going to go back to its whatever length it wants to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, Another thing with, and we can integrate this into like talking about the rib cage, but neck pain or like tight upper traps, look at a person's breathing. Look at their breathing mechanics because if they're upper chest breathing, they're likely flared rib cage as well, okay? And then you're losing that pelvic alignment. So rectus abdominis attaches bottom of the rib cage to the, the pubic bone. And so that's that's that core stability that we're talking about. And once you sort of lose that anterior pelvic tilt and then also flared rib cage, diaphragm sits lower. So we're more upper chest breathing. And then you're putting a lot of strain on um, your accessory wow. muscles of breathing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. breathing. Like, yeah. Yeah, if you can get your clients breathing. breathing, if you can, like, even before you, I mean, like you could do it as, as a drill like in your warm-up, say. Teach them to breathe into their... Diaphragm, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, if you can get them breathing properly, it's not only going to help with, like, their their entire, like, biomechanics because, you know, thinking about, um, you know, diaphragmatic breathing, but that's also, like, the parasympathetic nervous system, which is, like, your rest and digest, which everyone these days is so stressed. Mm. And, like... You know, your pecs, your um, upper traps, like these are accessory muscles to breathing and they're overworking because the upper chest shallow breathing Mm. rather than like thinking about diaphragmatic breathing. Like the diaphragm is the primary muscle of respiration. You want it to be doing its job of like contracting, relaxing, full range of motion. I look at it, same with pelvic floor. I look at them as like... um, any other skeletal muscle, whereas you want to work the full range of motion of it. So, you know, when it's like, when you're shallow breathing, it gets stuck, contracted. And then like, it's like you're doing this instead of like this. Mm-hmm. Same with pelvic floor. Like a lot of people do their pelvic floor exercises, but they contract and then they don't fully relax. And then that's when issues with like tight pelvic floors happen mm-hmm. in a lot of women. And that can create issues with like, pain like pelvic pain can create issues with like leakage on the platform if there's too much pressure in the abdominal cavity um yeah so breathing is like huge like for your clients you could just start with like just if your client comes in stressed from work or something like say we're gonna do five minutes of just like deep breathing like alignment getting everything sort of like ready to get under a heavy bar or whatever it sort of is. What kind of cues and kind of counts and things would you give them? Um, I would start because a lot of the times they're probably like even 
even just getting them to like breathe deeply, mm-hmm. they might feel out of breath from that. So you could start with like one second in, like hold one second, one second out, hold one second. Like that's kind of like that box breathing. Mm-hmm. And then you can like increase it. Like again, like I look at everything in a training lens is like progressive overload. Can they go in for two, hold for two, out for two, hold for two kind of thing. And then start like increasing it. So you're gradually slowing it down. Cause you might just go like, um, you know, try and like breathe in for four and then out for eight. And it's like, I can't do that. Like I'm so out of breath because and me just sitting here talking, I I'm feeling like out of breath, but um, yeah, they might just feel like super out of breath because that's what they're used to this like shallow breathing. So yeah, I would just like gradually sort of slow it down um, so that they're able to like take time to, to like relax a little bit and like get, you know, mentally prepared for the session as well. Mm. Yeah. And then, you know, as you're doing that, you can ask them to start doing some core exercises and things like that. I usually, what I do, like say if it's a deadlift session, I always start deadlift with core work. Um, I don't necessarily do much mobility work because I don't want to be mobile in a deadlift. I want to be stiff and create stiffness. So um, I might ask them to do front plank, side plank, um, and then some sort of anti-rotation exercise depending on their um, ability. Mm -hmm. Um, And so instead of, say, holding it for 30 seconds, I might say hold for um, a count of 10 breaths but slow breaths. So rather, cause like 30 seconds is an arbitrary number. Whereas it's like, hold it for like 10 breathing cycles. And like a side plank, maybe it's like five deep breathing cycles. So they're focusing, you know, on their breathing. Um, and yeah, and then sort of as time progresses, you know, hopefully those breaths will start to slow down and then, you know, they can increase the amount of time that they're working through that stability. Um, yeah. <laughs> Any other questions, like, in terms of, like, anatomy stuff or, like... Lower traps. Yeah. Um, what's their main role and what exercises would you prescribe to help increase their strength or structure? Yeah, so lower traps are going to help with depression of the scap, okay? So keeping the scap down, you know, if we're... We usually tend to be elevated and also tend to be a little bit, like, anteriorly tilted. You know, if pecs are tight, we might internally rotate and things like that. Everyone doing yeah. so much yeah um and so i guess we could have the discussion about posture where um like honestly like i see posture overdone like on instagram like everyone's like sit up tall back straight it's like if you spent your entire day like in this position which like i'm like i can be a a walking example of it is like my nan was like like shoulders back sit up straight and i have like no kyphosis in my thoracic spine like the thoracic spine is meant to have a slight curve i have more of like a scoliosis so it's like flat like my thoracic spine is like flat and then that's why like i have like quite an anterior tilt as well because my i don't have that that curve so um, it's not about the position. This is a normal position for us to move in as human beings. It's just the amount of time people spend in it. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you spent all day here, it's just as detrimental as spending time here. Mm-hmm. We're meant to move. Um, and so, like, 
when we're talking about posture, like I'm interested in lifting posture. I'm interested in the positions you can get in while you're actually lifting. But, you know, through the rest of the day, just, you know, educate your clients on, it's, it's, it doesn't matter. Like I spend a lot of time like this, um, but I also like move around a lot. So it's like, it's just getting them to change positions every say 20 minutes, half an hour, whether it's setting like an alarm or um, something like that, just like keeping moving and changing positions. It's not bad. It's just, we spend a lot of time here. Yeah. Um, and so, like when we're thinking about like lifting posture, like one thing that that can be detrimental for is like if we would do like a row, like a, um, a row, like a lot of people will go here and then they'll row from here because they're scared to go into this position. But to get full range of motion of say, like if, if we're training rhomboids or lats or whatever, you want to get into that position. You need thoracic kyphosis to fully protract the scapula, bring it forward. Okay, to get full range of motion stretch through the, the muscles. Like same as I was talking about the pelvic floor, like people only train half the range because they don't fully relax. So full stretch and then full contraction. That's going to be full range of motion of a row. And, you know, a lot of the clients, I guess you've got to be careful because they might not be able to dissociate their lower back from their upper back. But this is safe position, but then flexing your lumbar spine under flexion is not so great because the discs in our back and things like that. But you will see some deadlifters like having a rounded spine to deadlift. Mm -hmm. And if they're advanced deadlifters, they can do that because they can, um, they have that ability to dissociate. They have that like, it's called proprioception where they know what their body's position awareness is in space and they can manage those loads. Um, but, lower traps like you were, you were talking about um i really like um like i like integrating it like i spoke about before into like a bench dip or if you have the parallel bars for dips for dips yeah yeah, yeah we've got some yeah. yeah so like i like yeah i like the the parallel bars better than this because you're quite internally rotated in the shoulder here and it can drive a lot of like pressure through the the anterior capsule of the shoulder um but with the parallel bars you can kind of you can also externally rotate a little bit better through the shoulders and then you can control down and then when you come up you kind of like depress the scapula which is a way to kind of like train the triceps but also like stabilize the shoulder with the lower traps same as like you got the cable machine we can try it if you want but you got the cable machine like you can do the same thing like making sure that you're keeping lower traps active anything that's sort of so depressing depressing scapula yeah depressing yeah. the scap but then going through like a tricep movement um what else making sure that they can get into enough thoracic extension as well so like, you know, if they are quite kyphotic and quite stiff, like mobilizing through your thoracic spine, like any upper body movement, I'll always mobilize a client's thoracic spine first, because if you're like this, you can't get overhead. And like, you know, if you try and push them into overhead and they don't have that full thoracic mobility, again, you're gonna put a lot of tension through like those passive structures. So like, yeah, like the shoulder joint, the the capsule, the labrum, 
ligaments, tendons, all that sort of stuff as well. So like when I look at like movement preparation, I'll look at um, like what positions do I need to get in for that session? And then can, I, can my client get into that position? If not, I'll do some mobility work. And then can they stabilize in that position? So say it's like overhead. Can they stabilize? Are they able to say do like a kettlebell bottom up or something like that without like losing it? Or like at the bottom of a squat's a really unstable position. First of all, can they get into a deep squat position? Because if not, like that's gonna put pressure through. If you're loading them up and they can't get unloaded into that position, they're going to put pressure through, again, those passive structures. Um, but then can they stabilise in that position as well? Like, can they maintain, say, like, the knees neutral um, and knees not caving in and things like that? So, yeah. That's, like, what a lot that? of shit in one kind of, like, short session. No, that's right. Yeah. I was just going to quickly ask, with, that, um, with the lower traps and getting that pressure... Would you, probably for more advanced, would you program like a uh, behind the neck shoulder press over a um, like strict press from the front uh, just to help hold that position while they press? Um, again, like, yes, yeah, so sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent on yep. your lower traps, but um, you know, like um, you can work the lower traps, you know, in that extended shoulder position you can work the lower traps in an overhead position so you know with your um your wire raises and things like that um in terms of behind the head i personally don't like it just because of the position of the shoulder um like if there's a barbell are you talking barbell yes yeah just because the position of the shoulder like the shoulder blades are extended so they're kind of like um, the scapula is kind of like sitting off of the rib cage, whereas I like, I like that scaption position just because it's a healthier position for the shoulder like to press from, and it's also stronger. So um, yeah, I would start with like lower trap like activation, I guess, or stability. Like I don't like act the word activation. I like like stability or proprioception, but then like making sure that you're putting your client in like positions that are gonna be best for them to work from as well. Like thinking about like the way the shoulder wants to move. Like if we think, if we wanna define function, we can define it as like how the body wants to move when we're walking, like during gait cycle, because that's something that we do more than anything else. So like this position here is like. So it's like your gait there. Yeah. yeah. So like when I think of like, like and being strength-based, you guys are going to be a bit like, mm. squat isn't necessarily a functional exercise because you're bilateral, you're on two legs, you know, you've got hip, you've got a little bit of like pelvic, um, uh, sorry, anterior tilt happening as you're sort of going into um, hip flexion. Whereas like if we think about gait cycle, we've got anterior tilt with an extended hip but then we've got a little bit of posterior tilt on this side with a flexed hip. Um, and so like, I love like walking lunges would be an example of a really functional exercise. Um, you know, I love squats like as well. Everyone um, loves lunges. Yeah. Hey, lunges, right? Yeah. It's, because, it's because with lunges, you'll be able to find the instabilities because you're decreasing your base of support. And you're also like 
deviating your center of mass. Whereas like with a squat, like you're quite stable. You can hide instabilities here. Mm -hmm. If someone were to run at me in this position, I can take a run at me, I can like stabilize myself. Whereas if I was like this and I take some support away and I go on one leg, they come at me. I can, you can see everything like in a walking lunge. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm seeing like the ankle shifting. I'm seeing this knee cave in. There's instability there. You can see more when you're not as supported or not as like, yeah, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So like with the shoulder, um, you know, a bench press isn't functional because you're keeping your shoulder blades retracted. <laughs> I know. Crucified yeah. here, is that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> because you're keeping your shoulder blades like retracted yeah, yeah, and yeah, depressed yeah. while the humerus moves forward. But if you think about like walking, you need to approach like this is functional because it's like. like yeah. I mean, I like yeah, bicep curl can be can be functional, yeah. right? A lot of times people are like. No, a bicep curl, like it's all show, no go, but actually the biceps are really important for keeping like the head of the humerus, like in the glenoid fossa, right? Like it helps, it's functional for carrying shit. Like if you want to carry yeah, shit. Yeah, yourself. you need yeah. to have that. <laughs> How big's your bowl? <laughs> My beast yeah. makes wrap is yeah. very heavy. Yeah. <laughs> and especially if you're deadlifting heavy and you're using a, a mixed grip as well, like you need to have a strong bicep because if you're lifting like, I don't know, 100, 200, whatever you're lifting for a deadlift and your underhand grip, if you don't have that bicep strength, if you're just like, okay, I'm a, I'm a powerlifter, I don't need to like train my biceps. It's like, well, you're, you've got a lot of force going through the biceps when you're, when you've got like a mixed grip, um, so even, even on the other one. Yeah. And if you don't, as well, if you don't have like external rotation range of motion, that's when people tear a bicep when they're deadlifting because they, they don't have that strength. Yeah. So when, when thinking about it, like I'm not in either camp where it's like functional, like isolation. It's like integrate both into your training. Like if you're doing a bench press, let's say, then I'll go and do like a cable pec fly where I'm like integrating like full range of motion of the pecs and full range of motion of the shoulder. Cause I'm going from retraction, extended shoulder, externally, rot uh, yeah, externally rotated to protracted, internally rotated and flexed. So yeah. And like, yeah, again, like if I'm squatting, then, you know, I'll integrate some function with like some lunges. So I'm like not tipping the scales where I'm just action of the muscle or not like just yeah like creating dysfunction i'm like i'm sprinkling in function and i'm sprinkling in some hypertrophy and like all that sort of stuff cool yeah that's yeah. good yeah really good. good um you want me to move on to like cycle syncing like in terms of like so men men yeah, menstrual yeah, cycle i'd love to learn more <laughs> <laughs> um so I mean, I guess I'll start from the start, like the menstrual cycle, again, is gonna be for reproductive roles, like the differences in males and females. 
Almost. Just once. One little one of the day. <laughs> I Sorry. always need a chocolate treat after lunch. It's like yeah. lunch dessert. Just not a little bread. Yeah, but you have like chocolate your chocolate treat. Chocolate treat. Not, not today. <laughs> lunch just, dessert. Just lollies. Yeah, yeah, just lollies. <laughs> yeah. Lollies. Oh, my fave. Um, yeah, again, so the hormones, like, again, for reproductive roles, right? Like, um, males and females both have estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Those are our sex hormones. Um, in terms of the differences, males tend to have, like, uh, 15 times more testosterone around about than women. And then women have something around nine times uh, don't quote me or make me find the studies, but nine times more estrogen than males. And males with their, their hormones, they sort of tend to stay quite stable, whereas with a female, we know there are fluctuations over that month for, you know, ovulation is basically the main event of the menstrual cycle. We often think of like menstruation or bleeding as the main event, um, but you can have bleeds without actually ovulating. And the signs of ovulation are a little bit less um, obvious than menstruation. So oftentimes we think, okay, she's menstruating, she's bleeding, she's having a period, like she's fertile or she's, you know, regular. But um, the release of that egg is going to mean that, you know, she's healthy enough to um, be fertile and to create a baby if possible. Um, so the signs of ovulation, and that's kind of like midway between the two phases. So the menstrual cycle is broken up into like two main phases, but there's sort of like four kind of events within those two main phases. And that's what occurs over the cycle, which is like average, we say is 28 days. You know, it might not be exactly 28 days. Every woman's going to have a different normal so like normal is considered between 21 and 35 days um but yeah around like midway through is going to be where ovulation occurs the release of that egg um menstruation or the bleeding comes it's kind of considered like the first of the four like the first of the four phases so that's going to be like day one to three to seven like depending on how long she bleeds for but during that time all our hormones are kind of low so this is kind of when our physiology is most similar to a male's um she might be experiencing some symptoms from pms like at the very end of the cycle what happens is the hormones are kind of high and then they sort of drop um, and so that's what like signals the bleed um, and signals like the shedding of the uterine lining. And so often, so yeah, <laughs> often we, you we should, have. you should see the graphics, you should see some of the graphics I have in the, like the online course, yeah. like, cause we talk about like pelvic floor and we talk about like tearing and like things like that so if you think that's graphic oh, like yeah. leave it there it was actually <laughs> yeah yeah oh, my god why <laughs> so yeah so like during that menstruation phase like yeah. often it's sort of thought that like it's a bad time to train like she might be feeling like shit usually and like again every woman is going to experience her cycle differently that's why it's important to like ask your clients like what they notice and what they experience and if they're not get them to start tracking um because you know 
if there is some sort of menstrual cycle dysfunction there, then she might have like painful periods or she might have um, like heavy bleeding and those signs, like those are signs that something's not quite right as well. Um, but generally it's a good time to train during like after the first couple of days when she sort of come down off that hormonal high because our physiology is quite similar to a man it's quite stable whereas every other time throughout the cycle it's there's something fluctuating um so yeah if if she's feeling fine then you know it's totally fine to like start building and start like increasing her her strength training and her numbers and things like that if she's feeling good um it's also safe as well in terms of injury risk because estrogen is low and you know once estrogen starts to rise during that late follicular phase so the first like whole phase including menstruation is like the follicular phase that's when um the egg is actually maturing in the ovary then estrogen starts to rise and we see a correlation between ligament laxity and estrogen um, and it's seen like in female athletes where during like right before ovulation is when the hormones peak like estrogen peaks um, these other gonadotropin hormones peak which are released from the brain to signal to the ovaries like to produce these um, sex hormones but basically with this peak we see energy start to rise and then we see this peak and that's when there's most risk of injury because of estrogen creating that ligament laxity because during pregnancy um, estrogen increases something like a thousand fold and so that's to increase that ligament I mean, lax that's lady, Jesus. and that's why yeah, yeah. that's why yeah. she might be emotional as well like there's a lot of stuff going on a thousand, a thousand percent of anything is yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, so we see so yeah like this <laughs> massive spike just before um, just before childbirth to signal like the ligaments oh the ligaments um yeah to like you know get ready to have the baby and like progesterone rises as well to relax the smooth muscle to allow the baby to come out so at this point of the cycle when estrogen's high we do see like in female athletes like that increased risk of like ligament laxity whether it's like acls um you know eight, like knee injuries are really common at this point especially because like i spoke about the q angle before so like around this phase, like when we're starting to see that increase, like that follicular phase, that later follicular phase just after bleeding, it's usually like a time when she's gonna feel most energetic. Leading up to ovulation, she's becoming more fertile. She might want to like find a mate, um, but usually like her energy levels are higher. Um, and so, you know, you can push potentially harder in the gym, just be wary of, um, yeah, that risk of injury. Um, I think strength training is really, really safe because we've got a controlled environment. We've got, um, you know, symmetrical weights that we can use. If, say, she's looking a bit unstable on a back squat or something like that, you know, you've got the leg press or the hack squat or something. Pendulum that's a, squat. Yeah, sorry, pendulum yeah. squat. That's a bit more stable. So, like, she doesn't have to, you know, if she's feeling a bit unstable, the ligament laxity and things like that then chuck her on something that's a bit more stable, externally supported, um, and then make her go hard because, you know, she's safe in that position. Whereas like, I wouldn't go necessarily to the extent of like plyometrics, just because um, females 
again, like this is a, a whole nother topic, but like with our muscle fiber type, we tend to be better suited to endurance activities. So we will fatigue a bit more quicker with like explosive plyometric stuff. And so then if she's fatiguing, you know, ligament laxity is a high, then that puts her again at a risk of injury. So I think strength training, like really cool, um, just before ovulation, during that ovulatory phase. Um, yeah, great, like go hard. If she's feeling good though, because some women do tend to feel flat and do tend to feel watery and stuff around ovulation. So there is like, yeah, a bit of a difference, yeah. So would it be roughly around that 14 day mark is when you'd notice an uh, increase in libido? Mm -hmm. yep. So, okay, the signs of ovulation um, are going to be, the biggest one is going to be um, body temperature. So you'll see a rise in, in core body temperature. So um, my aura ring tells me when I've ovulated because it, I see a jump by about 0 0.1 to 0 0.3 degrees. You can also use a thermometer under the tongue first thing in the morning, like when she jumps up, like keep it beside the bed take the thermometer and then Sorry, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah like <laughs> no, no no so like like i would do it first thing in the morning because it's going to be most most accurate because like you know throughout the day board, like core temperature can fluctuate but if you see a jump <laughs> morning yeah so like i mean like yeah obviously like teach your, your clients to track is yeah like because you know, not everyone's going to go out and buy an aura ring, right, or, or wear an aura ring. So you can have, like, that um, that temperature and then just keep it in a diary. And then once you see that increase in about 0 0.1 to 0 0.3 degrees, but it's sustained over a few days or, like, it's meant to be sustained over that two-week luteal phase, which is the second phase, um, that's a sign that she's ovulated. Um, and then also, like, as well, um, an increase in cervical mucus as well. So it's going to be like a like a, an egg white consistency, and that's another sign of ovulation. So changes in um, cervical mucus. Um, so it's like pre-ovulation, is that right? Is that so that's um yeah, like pre-ovulation, and then like that she's ovulated. Like those are the signs is yeah, that okay. she's ovulated. It just doesn't calm down, does it? No. It's like twenty eight days of just just wow. I just I feel like changes. We don't get a break. <laughs> no, no, it's like no days off. <laughs> yeah, literally. And I would get the. I could feel which side I was ovulating on. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Each side. Wow. It's like someone put like a bulldog clip on my ovary. Yeah. Yeah, really intense oh. ovulation oh. pattern. Oh, yeah. That's so mean. That's yeah. interesting. And I, yeah. I think I've heard of that before yeah. as well. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's yeah. I don't know whether that's like, it sounds like you're super in tune with your body. Yes, and as I had each child, I was like, oh, yeah, I get, yeah, I've always filling you in with interesting bits of information. Like, I, I love talking to you. I'm like, you're looking good today, Josh. Like, that's weird because I haven't pooed today. Like, I know, I haven't yes. pooed. That's <laughs> <laughs> not my fifth shit today. Like. <laughs> that's so cool. Like I love talking about this stuff. Like one of my favorite things in the course is like talking to the mums because I obviously haven't experienced like we pregnancy. talk about everything I love yeah. talking about that because <laughs> everyone has a different it. experience yeah. everyone has a different experience like there's no like like one size fits yeah. all in terms of like experience and like that's again another thing like there's no one size fits all when it comes to training a client 
during their pregnancy or, or training a client post-pregnancy. Mm-hmm. That's why, like, when I see on Instagram, like, um, like, like prenatal program or something like that or postnatal program i'm like this is kind of dangerous because like you like she needs she's gonna need super if she's never exercised before um or you know had a pregnancy before like it's like how can you supervise that and know that like that's right for that one person because everyone's so unique and so different and has a different experience um yeah. sorry i just had a question just coming off that like with that pre and post natal training is a big factor like how often and how experienced the individual is about like how deep into a pregnancy you can train and like after how quickly you can sort of get back into it as well yeah so um like this is this is a really big topic um because recent research and when i say recent like the the research has come out it was 2002 and i say recent because it takes like 15 to 20 years for like research to actually become common knowledge is that um they did a lot of uh research in terms of gestational diabetes and so they found that even women who because the previous guidelines were that don't get your heart rate above 140 beats a minute don't increase your core body temperature you know before that before those restrictions it was like don't exercise at all when you're pregnant yeah but recent research has shown that even women who are sedentary or who have previously been sedentary and they get pregnant they will have benefits of exercising just starting to exercise yeah because the guidelines were kind of like don't start exercising if you haven't if you've been exercising continue to exercise but it's like even if you haven't been exercising to prevent like or to minimize your risk of gestational diabetes like start exercising like while you're pregnant and again like it's going to be individual because some women feel really really sick and they they might not be able to exercise at all what's um, that type of diabetes did you say that like gestational gestational so that's like it's like um yeah like diabetes but like when you're pregnant okay, so you're really dangerous. yeah you get it yeah. when you're like um what Usually around like thirty-ish trimester yeah. is when it can like come on, and so yeah, there's you have issues with like blood sugar levels, and then usually like post-pregnancy um, goes away. Yeah, well, but it's okay. really Do dangerous for the baby, isn't it? So yeah. most women are hospitalised. You can't. Yeah, okay. Is that because you're not treating enough insulin, or is it because you become in- uh, insulin resistant? I'm not hundred percent sure on that. Okay. Yeah. Mm. And those women tend to put a heap of weight on. Well, yeah. women I know who have had it. I'm thinking if I kind of just like, and don't quote me on this, I'm just like kind of going off what I know about like the hormones and insulin resistance. So like during that luteal phase, which is the second phase of the menstrual cycle, progesterone increases. So estrogen drops, progesterone increases. Estrogen like technically does rise again during that luteal phase, but it's effects are uh, like blocked by progesterone. So like, first half follicular phase it's quite estrogen driven and then second phase more progesterone driven and like estrogen is kind of like the driver and then progesterone is kind of like the break so during that luteal phase like you know coming into that pms ish sort of phase um progesterone increases which is that's why the core body temperature increases um but also it has an effect on insulin as well so we can't we become a little bit more insulin resistant during that luteal phase and then we we tend to be more insulin sensitive when estrogen is driving, so um, that's 
Another thing you can sort of like incorporate in terms of nutrition, depending again how advanced your client is, because if your client if your client isn't consistent with their nutrition to start with, there's no point changing their nutrition, which phase they're in. Um, but yeah, you can like increase your carbs in that luteal phase, and then like maybe increase your fats and decrease your carbs a bit through that um, through that luteal phase. And as well, women with PCOS. Um, you know, if they they tend to be more insulin resistant, depending which type of PCOS again that you have, yeah, okay. um, because yeah, there are different types of PCOS. But because of the high androgens, um, they become more insulin resistant. So I'm just thinking, like, with your question, like, progesterone is on the rise during like the the last trimester um, of pregnancy. So that could be potentially a risk factor for that insulin resistance during that last um, trimester because progesterone rises to help relax the smooth muscle. It's also like um, provides like um, like nutrients to the baby and things like that for like the placenta, like the formation of the placenta and stuff like that. Um, so yeah yeah that makes sense yeah yeah i mean that's just like my thought process on it um where was i at ovulation mm. going into the yeah, luteal phase Zach, was that yeah we said we said strength training I in about, yeah. oh the pregnancy stuff the yeah pregnancy yeah did that answer your question yeah okay yeah so basically even if you haven't trained and you get pregnant it's still beneficial to exercise yeah again yeah. like you're going to Make sure that yeah, your client's yeah, yeah. been yeah. cleared for exercise by a yeah. doctor first. Yeah. Yeah, before I mean, you start an exercise yeah. program. But yeah, for most women, exercise is beneficial unless they have a complicated pregnancy, which yeah. hopefully, like, obstetrician, gynecologist, or GP has picked up. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, then going back to, like, yeah, after ovulation, that luteal phase, when progesterone's increasing, core body temperature increases we tend to become a little bit more um, like like uh, we have a decreased time to fatigue. So that's when like this PMS phase is when like we might sort of start to like, depending again on like how advanced your client is, if they're quite advanced, you can deload them. If they're not that advanced, then you can just like bring back the intensity and the volume slightly. Um, because she's probably feeling like a little bit sluggish. She's probably feeling like maybe moody, like irritable, things like that. Not the best. Um, maybe holding onto a bit of water. Um, but you know, if she doesn't get those symptoms, then again, you can, you can just continue to train normally with your client as well. So, um, I think that pretty much covers like the cycle and like how I like the considerations that you make because each client's going to be different um, but just checking in with your client I think is most important you know asking them to track like just asking what them what apps do you recommend to track this cycle so I would like there are a couple of apps like it doesn't really matter which app but I would say like don't rely on the app for um telling you if you've ovulated or not you need to look at the signs oh more men in the like body use one that you could record your temperature and oh, any cool. symptoms yeah so it's more to into your own stuff but yeah. yeah but then you can go back and see yeah. any kind of patterns and yeah perfect so i think there's flow app and clue app okay are the two good ones that i know of 
Um, yeah, those are probably yeah the two main ones that you can use. Into our trainer eyes, that would be very cool. Like my yeah. fitness pal. Do you know yeah. with, with, with trainer eyes? Are they starting to? Because you know how trainer eyes doesn't stick to my fitness pal anymore. Do you guys get that? No. no. It still sticks? Yeah. Ah, oh, me and a couple of my, yeah, my um, mentorship girls, they use trainer eyes as well. And they, yeah, they said that my fitness pal isn't sinking to trainer eyes anymore because trainer eyes is bringing out their own oh, no. nutrition tracking app. Oh, ours is still sinking. Oh, okay. Yeah, until it does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, maybe I should check that out then. <laughs> maybe it's yeah. not that. But, yeah, but that would be, be nice cool if something... Yeah. It. yeah. It makes sense, yeah. Mm. And I'm, I'm pretty sure with Turner, you can, like, request yeah. things like that. Hey. Oh, yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah 100%. Because yeah. I think I was looking up whether Whoop Band... Um, In Garmin? Because I don't see the Garmin mm, under that request. Whether, and, yeah, because someone asked... I had a client ask whether Whoop syncs to... To train our eyes so it could see like their their metrics and stuff. But yeah, any other questions? Oh, just probably one question. Sorry, yeah. you, there you go. You okay? Uh, it's just like a lot of my clients have lost their period. Mm-hmm. Is there anything I need to do different? That yeah, that? yeah. There's a lot of things. So um, like the the main ones because. Yeah, the main ones, it's so common mm. these days, like menstrual cycle dysfunction. Um, the main ones are, are to like increase their calories because a lot of women are usually dieting because they want to, like the pressure of social media and things like that. Yeah, yeah you're right. right. Sorry, I'm going to go and pick up no. one, one of my... Tara is out. I'm out. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, Thank you. Nice to the rest. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. See ya. See you, Tara. Yeah, huge, huge topic at the moment. So, yeah, the the first, like, the obvious ones are to increase their calories um, and also, like, decrease their training intensity and address any stress in their life. So there are a number of reasons why they might be experiencing menstrual cycle dysfunction. Like one could be PCOS, one could be hypothalamic amenorrhea, which means like loss of periods because they just don't have enough energy availability. Um, So yeah, I would look at like what they're eating, making sure that they're eating enough like micronutrients as well um, because like the quality of our food these days can get like quite low um and even sometimes they're probably not getting enough like micronutrients just through food alone that's when like sups and stuff come come into play um you know especially like when dieting with yeah yeah, with that so yeah a lot of a lot of girls are restricting their calories um and basically it's a sign that you know their, their body isn't in a state to reproduce, which means it's not 100% healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, because what one of the first things that shuts down when we don't have enough energy availability is the menstrual cycle. Um, basically, because it's not essential for survival, like mm-hmm. we use that energy to keep us alive. So like brain function, heart, like all our vital organ functions. It flies like so dumb. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Flying into itself. <laughs> Mate, you know you're flying into yourself. Don't like <laughs> He's like, damn, he doesn't know. Fly. Oh, <laughs> He's like, I gotta get that. <laughs> he doesn't know. Um, I like how we just assume it's a dude because it's so dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if flies do have genders. 
I think they do. I searched yeah. that one. They must. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. You see them like when they land on you and there's like two of them and I'm like, whoa. But they like, could be like any any just like, like, whoa. Yeah, it's like whoa. Do you just let them do the thing or well, you don't want to bother them like <laughs> <laughs> No, like they'll make maggots, don't they make maggots? <laughs> like, yeah. damn, my, my first three way. <laughs> Jeez! <laughs> That's great. Oh, I'm sorry. This is too much. That's why I don't work here. Tactic. Yeah, so those okay. are the first things Great I would look things. up, but it can be a lot more, it can get complicated. Yeah. Um, so usually if someone has lost their period, say for like greater than three months, um, I would get blood work done. So yeah. I would refer them to get blood work done from a yeah. doctor. And even then... Like, it can be tricky because sometimes the doctors don't want to order all the bloods that, um, oh, that you might need. Like that, yeah, like, especially okay. with thyroid stuff as well. Yeah. Like, they might order TSH, but they don't order T3, T4. And then if TH, TSH is high, they assume it's, like, a hyperactive thyroid because it's producing a lot of TSH. But it could be producing a lot of TSH because, like, T4 and T3 are low, so it's searching for mm. more of that hormone. So it could be a low, like it's actually hypothyroidism um, because it's not producing enough T3, T4, and then like the the stimulating hormone for those is high because it's searching to like get more of that hormone. So um, yeah, and then again, they might not order a full panel. Like you know, you're gonna want to check. Uh, obviously estrogen progesterone but then there's also going to be like what's their insulin levels like because that can be an indicator of PCOS what are their androgen levels like like what's their testosterone levels like because if that's elevated that's a sign of PCOS um, you know you want to check like a lot of different micronutrients like like um, vitamin B vitamin D um, mag- like magnesium zinc like all these like other like yeah, okay. yeah things so so to the doctor mainly so doctor or like some sort of like e- even a naturopath might be a better okay. option yeah because they might do like a f- they can order like a full panel yeah um and then going back to the naturopath they'll use like they'll use more natural techniques to help them get their period mm-hmm. back whereas a doctor might prescribe the pill yeah. which is like a band aid yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can also there's also websites where you can just order your own um, select which you pay you for get. it. Yeah, yeah, it's called it. Ice Screen. So um, I work with um, an integrative women's health practitioner, and we created like the menstrual cycle course that we're starting in a few weeks' time. And so she uses Ice Screen. Um, you have to pay for it, like for the full panel, but like sometimes it's just worth it for your health, like to yeah. like your health. I think yeah. like you Couple need to invest yeah. in your yeah. health like that's the most important thing yeah I think sure. that we need to tell people and these young girls that are losing their periods because they want to look a certain way it's like they don't think about the long-term consequences of losing their periods because it's not just about fertility like it's not just about getting pregnant estrogen plays a role in so many other parts of the body as well like estrogen is really important for 
bone metabolism it's really important for like muscle metabolism yeah, or like muscle like creating muscle mass that's what i was going to say like um i've prepped a few girls for like bikini and bodybuilding comps and like my mm. biggest gauge is making sure they keep their period all the way through mm. um and post comp too because awesome. that's the biggest thing that holds on to muscle mass like the period goes and they're going to struggle to hold on to muscle mass yeah exactly. yeah exactly yeah that's awesome and then like progesterone as well has neuroprotective effects so like it helps with cognition and it helps with um like you know things that you know we might not necessarily we see it like in i think someone asked a question about post like perimenopause postmenopause as well in the group um but we see it in women who are like um in perimenopausal postmenopausal is like that decline in body composition because they don't have estrogen production anymore that decline in bone mineral density because they don't have estrogen production um you know that in itself can create things like um or lead to things like osteoporosis stress fractures in younger women like even like osteoporosis and stress fractures um but like progesterone in terms of like the neuroprotective effects it has like alzheimer's and dementia is really common in postmenopausal women because of progesterone neuroprotective effects so i think education is the the most important thing for your clients there is like you know i will i will i do a, a mentorship with some girls and i will always start them at maintenance and then from there we'll build first before we we diet so it's like it's underrated how like the changes you can get at maintenance like you can you can change your body composition at maintenance like without having to drop calories um and then you're in a better spot you can even start building as well as you build muscle mass like you can even start building their cows to a really good point and then you know start dropping their calories after they've spent a decent amount of time there for a short period of time then get them out yeah. just wondering like how high of a percentage you go over baseline for calories when you're building all that always depend I gauge it I don't yeah I gauge it off like each individual like because as well it's it's a big mental battle too mm, so I'm, yeah. I ask them how they're feeling because if they're like oh, I'm starting to feel fluffier I'm starting to feel uncomfortable like wearing baby clothes now yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like okay well let's just stick <laughs> stick here for a bit <laughs> Stick here for a bit. And, like, your performance in the gym is going to go up. Your libido is going to go up. Like, I've had girls just being, like, um, I'm still building this girl. Like, she's she started off quite lean, but, like, now she's, like, building a fair decent amount of muscle. She's like, but my performance in the bedroom is, like, through the roof. And I'm like, win! Like, yeah. It's so good, it's yeah. calories as well. Yeah, rather than just oh, this, like, <laughs> this yo-yo of, like, unsustainability, it's just, like just like start at maintenance and then like stay there for a long period of time like we don't need to diet constantly because that's what creates like this low energy availability and these menstrual cycle dysfunction issues and i don't think they realize that now because if they are young they're just like oh, i don't need i don't need my period i don't need to get pregnant it's a it's a hassle yeah. when you're young but actually like it's important because i was one of those people like even you know um being really young like you will have menstrual cycle irregularities for like five years when you first start menstruating so yeah i didn't know that yeah there you go yeah Yeah. because i got my period late like i got i was like 
young athlete like super low body fat percentage so i got it like 15 16 so that's pretty late to start getting it but then like when i was 17 like it wasn't regular and so i was having period like every i think three weeks and it was quite light so i went to the i went to an endocrinologist like this is like a high level doctor i got put on the pill and i was on the pill for like five years um but i hadn't had the chance to actually mature my cycle like it takes it takes like up to five years to to Mm. get a mature cycle so they think they have menstrual cycle dysfunction whereas like and they put them on the pill like so once off the pill it can kind of mature when they're not yeah and and that's why yeah it's it's not mature because when you take the pill you're suppressing your natural hormones anyway and you're getting a synthetic form of the of your natural hormones so it's just like suppressing it anyway so it's like so, so, so like I notice that with like say something like Tara or anyone pretty much over the age of thirty five female, uh, they they got like they know what's up with their body. Yeah. Where most girls under the age twenty five they're trained, they're just like, you know, every three, four weeks it's 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 a shoe show. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> they they have not even me. <laughs> yeah, I can usually pick it like the week before it's gonna happen. I'm like it's due next week like I don't know do you know what even me like even me still I'm like the day before I'm ravenous and I'm like why am I so hungry I'm eating everything and then the next day it comes and I'm like oh yeah (laughs) I had that in a while I know yeah Yeah, but that makes sense about maturing because it is uh, like I noticed there's those girls under the age like under the particularly under the age of 25 that Mm. just really struggle every time it comes around they struggle with motivation they struggle with like uh, the thoughts, the food, the training, the, mm. the just general everything. Um, the struggle with me. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, why are you looking at me like that? I'm like, oh, are you okay? <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah. You know what fine stands for? Yeah. yeah. Like, I'll, I'll just go sit in the corner. It's neurotic fine. and emotional. <laughs> yeah, but that makes sense about it, um, maturing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it does take, it does take some time and like, again like that's just again going to take time and making sure that you know she's eating healthily and she's training like she's managing training loads and then um managing stress levels workloads family relationships all that. 100 percent, yeah all of it it all it's not yeah it's all combined together like stress because training's a stress dieting's yeah. a stress there's mental stress financial stress relationship stress social stress yeah. like everything's covid stress like everything's a stress so yeah especially like in this if you listen to this podcast at any other time than 2021 yeah covid has its own category for everything right now yeah, yeah. 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 literally yeah it's like pre-covid post-covid i don't think yeah. anyone yeah Forget it. No. Yeah. Like 50 years from now, the kids are in school. (laughs) Like, we've got a whole section of history on COVID. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, did you hear that Mark McGowan might not open the borders till 2023, they said? I mean, I don't go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I don't want anyone to come in, (laughs) to be honest. Like, I like it here. Yeah. Yeah. But it'll happen soon enough. My family's not here. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be too much pressure from other states and stuff because they're opening. Yeah. <laughs> I booked a trip to Adelaide, so hopefully I can go. <laughs> I think Adelaide will be alright. Adelaide's fine, I reckon. What do you yeah. go to Adelaide? My fam's there, some of my oh, fam's. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah mine's in Sydney. Yeah, oh. I don't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, right my mum booked a trip to Broome, like, in September, and she, yeah, couldn't go, obviously. Yeah. And then now she's, like, rebooked it for 2022. She's like, mm. 
don't know if so. Surely you just be like, oh, mum, I'll go for you. Like, that's what I said. I know, that's what I was thinking, but she's like, the place is like, I don't have many friends here yet, but she's like, um, the place was like for six people and something like that. So, yeah, yeah. It's been rebooked now, yeah. but yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Next year. Awesome. Well, I hope that was helpful for you guys. Yeah, no, that was awesome. Really, yeah. really, really good. You're welcome. Um, do you want to leave a drop uh, on the podcast at the end there, just where people can find you and um, what you do? Yeah, for sure. So, um, best place is Kayla Lee Physio at Kayla Lee Physio on Instagram. Um, the the education company that we run is AWPT University. So we also have an Instagram page for that, which is at AWPT underscore University. And then like there's also our website, which is AP, AWPT University as well, which basically stands for Applied Women's Physiology and Training. Love it. Yeah. So cool. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thanks. Nice work, guys. Yeah.